This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. Gas prices are always a hot topic on the Lower Mainland, with drivers constantly puzzled over why we pay so much. Now the province is hoping to force the hand of oil and gas companies by proposing new legislation aimed at more fuel transparency, even as prices take a big drop. John Waugh has the details. The sight of lower fuel prices right before a long weekend. I put it in my calendar, get gas on Thursday. That's like spotting a unicorn galloping at a gas station. I was just passing by and I saw the price, so like, just pull over right away. While some think it's best not to question a good thing, others want more transparency when it comes to fluctuating fuel prices. The more you understand, the more you can plan around it. Now there are reports the B.C. government is drafting a bill that could force gas supply companies to hand over data on how prices are set. I think it's important that stuff is transparent like that for the public, and it should be. And whether the prices are up or down, there's still that mystery 13 cents per litre that was discovered and could not be explained by a public inquiry on gas prices this August. If there is an explanation and it, can, it could be brought forward, then it would no longer be an unexplained difference. When it comes to the bill, Minister Bruce Ralston was unavailable for interviews, but writes people feel like they're being ripped off at the pump. Drivers in BC deserve some transparency and fairness when it comes to gas prices. Minister Ralston is trying to force uh, some more information out of the gas companies uh, based on an inquiry that was not allowed to look at any of government policies. A supplementary report from the BC Utilities Commission might shed more light on gas prices. In the meantime, consumers will have to rely on explanations like this. For the past six weeks, we've seen a series of refineries disrupted. With prices expected to drop even more, drivers are happy to finally get a deal. But a breakdown of where their dollars are going would be even better. John Hua, Global News. Well, enjoy the dip in gas prices while you can because the refinery that's the sole local supplier for gasoline for the Lower Mainland is scheduled for a two-month shutdown for maintenance early next year. Parkland's owner says taking steps to mitigate the dent in our wallets will help and keep prices at the pump in check. Fuel is being put in storage and plans are underway to source supply from other refineries nearby as well. The transit strike is rolling into day seven today, impacting both C-Bus and now bus service. The union reporting more than three dozen runs were affected as the premier even waded into the dispute himself. Catherine Urquhart is live with the latest on the disruptions. Catherine. Thanks, Chris. Well, today this dispute escalated. There were 16 CBUS sailing cancellations and there were delays on 11 bus routes, which, according to the union, impacted about 40 bus runs. Now, Coast Mountain says that it wants to return to the bargaining table, but the union refuses. Here's what the union told us today, followed by Premier Horgan. 
It's portions of runs, so it's not entire runs, but we're definitely starting to see the impact on some of the buses out there because of the maintenance overtime ban. We're certainly not going to do any escalation before Remembrance Day, uh, but we'll see what happens next week. When it comes to uh, disruptions in the transit uh, uh, situation in the Lower Mainland, I'll remind you that the last time the official opposition was in government, there was a four-month transit strike in Vancouver, and I can assure you that that won't happen on my watch. Now, tomorrow you can expect more disruptions, including 16 CBUS sailing cancellations. Now, according to the union, bus and CBUS drivers may begin to refuse overtime, which would mean more disruptions. But again, those wouldn't occur, says the union, until after Remembrance Day, meaning we could see a further escalation in this dispute, perhaps as early as Tuesday. Chris, back to you. Sounds like it's likely. Okay, thanks very much, Catherine. We'll bring in Keith Baldry now. Keith, that was quite a statement from the Premier mm -hmm. uh, that we saw from Catherine, and that's not his only one on these, or not his only public statement, at least, in the labour disputes that are going on right now. Yeah, I think uh, it's a sign of frustration, perhaps, on the part of the Premier, because there are suddenly labour disputes occurring at a, after a period of labour peace in this province, and they're in the public sector. So uh, here's a list of them. The Premier did weigh in on another one as well. So first of all, you've, of course, you've got the ongoing Metro Transit service labour dispute with job action included there. Also, just today, the University of Northern BC is behind a picket line because of the faculty walking off the job there. Uh, of course, there's the ongoing situation with the BC Teachers Federation, no contract there, not much progress on negotiations. Who knows where that, that's headed? And flying below the radar is the fact that Abbotsford school support workers have taken a strike vote and are in a position to strike, but they're seeing a mediator uh, next week. Uh, so some good news there, but also one that's getting a little ugly out here in Vancouver Island. The Saanich school support workers continue to be on strike. They're in their second week now. Superintendent Dave Eberbein makes the point today that uh, he disputes the union's claim that there's more money. There is no more money to be had, he says. And the Premier weighted in to this dispute as well. The union is making a claim that there is additional money under the mandate that can be applied to the agreement. That is, that is false. Uh, we have accessed all monies available to us. Saanich is not the only jurisdiction in K-12 where there is wage disparity. That provincial fund of $3.9 million cannot be accessed by local parties at their local bargaining table. I look at the offer that's on the table to the uh, employees in that district. It is uh, superior to the offer that was, uh, has been ratified by districts right across the province. And uh, I would suggest that the members of, of, of QP, if they had the opportunity to vote on the package, would accept it. So the legislature resumes sitting the week after next, Chris, and it'll be interesting to see if the transit dispute does escalate to the point of a, a bigger walkout by drivers and a disruption, a major disruption to transit service, and the Sandwich School strike is continuing. We don't be surprised if the legislature gets in action here and has some sort of mechanism to get people back to work. All right, we'll see what happens. Keith Baldry and Victoria, thanks, Keith. A very close call in Vancouver involving a young cyclist hit by a car. The frightening hit and run caught on the dash cam of another vehicle. Aaron MacArthur has more from the victim and the appeal to the driver involved. And even though the boy wasn't seriously hurt, we want to warn you, the video may be shocking to some viewers. A routine ride to school ended just blocks from Bromnair's home in East Vancouver. Whoa, did someone hit him? Almost. You okay? He was hit by a car trying to make a left turn. I shoulder checked, I signaled, and then I turned. The driver, who passed Brom on the left in oncoming traffic, never even bothered to slow down. 
Two witnesses did run to help. A woman gave Brahm a cell phone so he could call home. For a split second, my heart stopped when he told me he was hit by a car. And then very quickly, I thought, well, I'm talking to him, so it can't be bad. Brom rides to school a few days a week, one kilometer from his house to the bike rack. The ride normally on quiet side streets. The only exception is when he needs to cross Slocan. Thursday morning, he was a fraction of a second away from serious injury. As it stands, he walked away with a scraped elbow. Just landed on it. I looked back up at the car, and I was wondering, like, how could you even do that? The video evidence doesn't show a license plate for the gold-colored car. Both Brom and his mother incensed that this driver would put someone's life in danger. Come forward, acknowledge what you've done, and I don't know if they were distracted or, or something, but it's just an irresponsible person that doesn't stop. The VPD will be investigating. Despite the ordeal, Brom didn't even miss school, even making it to volleyball practice only a half an hour late. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. New details today in a fatal hit and run in Kamloops last weekend. Investigators have determined a truck failed to stop at a stop sign, slamming into a car which was carrying four people. Two of them died. One other person remains in hospital. The driver of the truck ran away from the scene. RCMP say they've, they've identified the alleged driver and they're asking for witnesses to come forward. It's also believed there was a woman who was on scene before emergency services and investigators would like to speak with her as well. Experts from all over the world are in Seattle right now for the Cascadia Rail Summit, discussing the future of a high-speed rail link from Vancouver to Seattle and Portland. A lot of people at the conference are excited about it. Ted Chernecki has more on the valuable information shared by those who've been through it. Ted. Yeah, Chris, well, one of the few advantages of being this late to the game is that you can learn from all the mistakes made by other countries who've been building these things for 50 years now. The experts here believe that the Cascadia line is very viable. Vancouver, British Columbia and Seattle, Washington. Software giant Microsoft is hosting a three-day conference bringing the who's who in the high-speed rail world onto its sprawling Redmond campus. There are 50,000 employees here alone and Seattle is facing the same housing affordability issues as is the Lower Mainland. We see this as an opportunity to address those issues to enable people to live farther out from the job centers and commute into their work without getting in single occupancy vehicles and incurring all of the negative um, environmental effects that result from that type of travel. When it comes to high-speed rail, much of the industrialized world long ago left North America in the dust. In business, a fast, delay-free transportation network offers an enormous competitive advantage, one that none of the Cascadia cities currently have. In order to tie Vancouver and British Columbia up with its neighbors, and, and to link its economy with the rest of its region and the world, it's about transportation. I think it is inevitable that you're going to do it. The I-5 is jammed. SeaTac International is at capacity and YVR isn't far behind. Replacing short-haul flights with high-speed rail saves having to build more runways or widen the freeway. Adding just one lane each way on the I-5 through Washington State is estimated to cost $108 billion, more than twice the cost of a new rail line. And for BC, high-speed rail could fundamentally change our economy. Cascade high-speed rail would connect us to some of the high-tech, knowledge-based, growth-oriented 
oriented future that is really more sustainable as we see when we look around British Columbia to the extraction of non-renewable resources. Experts here believe this project, talked about for decades, is finally gaining momentum and could be a reality within a decade. And you know, China went from having no high-speed rail about 20 years ago to having more track now than all of Europe combined. Increasingly, the discussion here is moving away from can we afford to build this thing to can we afford not to. Chris? All right, Ted, thanks very much. A judicial recount in the hotly contested B.C. riding of Port Moody, Coquitlam, is over. NDP candidate Bonita Zarello had requested the recount after initial results showed that she was just 153 votes behind conservative Nellie Shin. But Elections Canada today said the recount was terminated at the request of Zarello and that the result is unchanged, which means Nellie Shin, the conservative, is still the winner. Vancouver City Council approving changes to strengthen short-term rental regulations. It comes one year after the city enacted policies to crack down. Nadia Stewart has a rundown of what's working and why more needs to be done to weed out violators. 2,000 short-term rental units have delisted and have not returned to the market. One year into the city of Vancouver's crackdown on short-term rentals, and they say the numbers are proof positive the new regulations are working. We are seeing some of the highest compliance rates of anywhere in North America at 73%. The city believes its data shows long-term rental supply is getting a boost. Since the rules came into effect, it's issued 2,100 long-term rental licenses, at the same time collecting $62,000 in fines and pursuing 120 prosecutions for those caught breaking the rules. There is a persistence of operators who choose to not comply with bylaws, and that is not unique to Vancouver. That's a, a consistent experience across the world. The city's enforcement team of seven staffers has opened over 3,000 case files, going after repeated offenders, namely commercial operators, and those who rent out their entire condo or home all year round, clearly violating the rules. We do have reason to suspect that there has been a misrepresentation around principal residency. Most of the accommodations across the various short-term rental platforms are condos. Tony Giaventu with the BC Condo Owners Association estimates a total of 25,000 units are listed across the Lower Mainland. And new data is beginning to show what could be a trend amongst owners. There was a higher frequency of individuals that are using their units for Airbnbs, which we suspect is probably to offset the vacancy tax. The city of Vancouver says Airbnb is still the only operator voluntarily supplying their data. Holmes says they'll be partnering with academics, conducting research on the impact short-term rentals are having on the city's long-term housing market. Nadia Stewart, Global News. Potential game-changer in the U.S. presidential race is billionaire Mike Bloomberg really ready to take on Donald Trump. And startling developments for a Humboldt Bronco paralyzed in the bus crash. The amazing results of surgery in Thailand. Coming up later. Right now, though, a city councillor in Victoria is challenging his colleagues to put public transit to the test. The idea is to have those who are responsible for the service experience it firsthand for one full week. Kylie Stan explains why and how it's hoped to improve the system. A to B using Victoria's transit system doesn't always go smoothly. Congestion, scheduling, the list goes on. More buses. 
Yes, it is getting way more crowded, I've noticed. Now, a Victoria City Councillor is challenging his elected colleagues to experience it firsthand, putting forward a motion that would require City Councillors, along with members of the Victoria Regional Transit Commission, to ride the bus for one week. This will give the elected officials and policymakers to have a test of the service they provide. As a transit user himself, Dubot expects the challenge to provide some insight that will lead decision makers to better and more informed choices when debating and voting on transit issues. Ultimately, he's hoping it will result in more funding. You know how they say an experience gives you intimate knowledge. And hopefully, as there is more demand for more services, then it is necessary to put more funding to the system. So far, the feedback has been positive. Both the Colwood and Oak Bay mayors have tweeted their support. And with the motion passing unanimously, Victoria councillors are on board as well. Any tool that's used to better our education uh, as decision makers is, is, is always beneficial. While most transit users would have to agree. Good idea. Others say one week simply isn't long enough to get a good sense of the issues. They should ride the bus for a month. They should, their insurance should be taken off their cars. I'm serious. Those who participate are being asked to share their experience with their colleagues, communities, and the Victoria Regional Transit Commission. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. The newest ships broke down today just off Swartz Bay. The Salish Raven was returning from the southern Gulf Islands when it had a problem with one of its front bow thrusters. About 80 passengers were stuck on board until tugboats arrived to guide the ferry into the terminal. Most of the um, passengers, I think, were from Pender Island, so they're well experienced with BC ferries, and um, I think the mood was positive, and people understand that things happen, and um, they'll get you know, attended to as quickly as they can. Kudos to, to the, the crew. They did an amazing job keeping every... And you know what? You take it in stride. I had an appointment, but... You just reschedule. <laughs> it's a part of island living. Wasn't all bad. BC Ferries provided free food and beverages while passengers waited. The problem was fixed early this afternoon and sailings resumed like normal just after 4 o'clock. A drug seizure has RCMP warning parents that many cannabis edibles can look identical to candy. Surrey Mounties seized more than 30 grams of edibles and vape products during a traffic stop an 18-year-old man was arrested and later released. RCMP remind pot enthusiasts that there are limits to the amount of cannabis a person is allowed to have in their possession. Well, it seems not a week goes by that we don't hear more about the dangers of vaping, and that's presenting parents and educators with a new challenge. But a high school in Revelstoke has come up with a unique approach, a vape buyback program. Global Okanagan's Megan Turcato reports. Oh, that one smells really bad. These are just some of the more than 45 vapes Revelstoke Secondary School has collected from students since it started its vape buyback program. We realized very quickly with vaping is because of the marketing effects of the different vape flavors it became very, very easy for students to become addicted, and now they are. Four years ago, the school started seeing an uptick in teens vaping. So what we did is work with Interior Health and other community agencies to try support students 
to, to stop smoking and vaping. Students turn in their vapes in exchange for credit on a tab at the school cafeteria. Now there's substantially less vapes in general in our community. I see a lot of kids just doing it for fun or doing it to be cool or fit in with certain type of people, types of people. And it really has like, it really takes a toll on you. And I don't think a lot of kids know that because you can't really feel it until you quit. And this one was turned in by a student who, who quit. Principal Kenyon admits some of the kids who've sold back vapes haven't kicked the habit. But he sees value in the way the program has helped staff talk to students about vape use. They know we care. Has it been totally successful? No. Is it making an impact? Yes. A made in Revelstoke approach to tackling an emerging health problem. Megan Turcato, Global News. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I will stoke. A particularly violent night in Toronto, a city that's been plagued by gun violence. No fewer than six shootings overnight, one of them fatal. Two men were shot at this notorious restaurant, one pronounced dead at the scene, the other critically injured. Neighbors say the restaurant has been the scene of a number of violent incidents and they want it shut down. A heartbreaking story out of Brampton, Ontario, where two young boys, 9 and 12 years old, were found dead in a home. Shockingly, their father has been arrested and charged with first-degree murder. Absolutely upset that two kids just lost their lives for absolutely no reason. The loss of two little boys, just 9 and 12 years old, continues to reverberate throughout this Brampton subdivision. They were quiet kids. They play on the street, play road hockey, basketball, you know, never heard nothing. 52-year-old Edwin Bastidas is now charged with first-degree murder in the deaths of his sons, Jonathan and Nicholas. At the boys' school, St. Bonaventure Catholic Elementary, the flag has been lowered. Counselors brought in to support staff and students. This man says his family is close with the Bastidas. He tells us his wife goes for coffee with the boy's mother. It didn't seem like there was anything wrong. They, they go out, they vent, they talk about um, what they do. They're, they're just your regular everyday boys. They, they walk their dog through the neighborhood. Um, my daughter plays with them. Police are not saying how the boys died or where in the home they were found. They're not looking for any additional suspects, but are appealing to the public for any information. Shalima Maharaj, Global News. In other news tonight, the 2020 U.S. presidential race could get a lot more interesting. Reports are that former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg is taking steps to possibly enter the Democratic presidential primary. The 77-year-old billionaire businessman has flirted with running for president before, although he announced in March that he would not run in 2020. We'll have to see what happens. An unexpected real-life plot twist during a live show at a London theater. Several people were injured when parts of the ceiling in the Piccadilly Theater collapsed. 
during a performance of Death of a Salesman. Audience members heard dripping sounds just moments before the ceiling fell in. More than 1,000 people were evacuated. Four people were taken to hospital. In Health Matters tonight, a humble Broncos player who was paralyzed in the deadly bus crash involving the team has undergone surgery in Thailand with some remarkable results. The family of Ryan Streshnitsky sharing video of the 20-year-old moving his legs after undergoing spinal surgery. Streshnitsky was paralyzed from the chest down after the April 2018 crash. The surgical procedure placed an epidural stimulator in his spine to help stimulate his nerves. Vancouver Coastal Health is unveiling the name of its newest canine scent recruit. Four-month-old Finn and his sister Traveler will spend the next few months learning the basic skills required of service dogs. After that, they'll receive specialized training to be able to detect C. difficile. They'll be part of the canine scent detection team at Coastal Health which searches hospitals for C. difficile and helps protect patients from infection. Good luck, Finn. And a new law goes into effect today in Italy designed to prevent the tragedy of children accidentally left in vehicles. Parents of children up to four years old must now use save baby car seat alarms that go off if a child is left alone in the car. Drivers caught without the baby seat alarm face a fine of almost $500 Canadian. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A battle between development and the environment is heating up in Maple Ridge, with the municipality considering a new housing project on the banks of the Alouette River. As Linda Aylesworth reports, the people who manage the river believe it's the wrong project in the wrong place, and they're vowing to take the matter to court. The chilly waters flowing from BC's coastal mountains take many routes out to sea. This is one of them, the Alouette River. It's one of the lower Fraser's uh, magnificent uh, salmon rivers and it's under attack by uh, a development proposal that just should not be happening uh, in this area. The problem, earlier this year Maple Ridge City Council voted in favour of rezoning land at the north end of 240th Avenue. They are proposing to put in on the riverbank a suburban standard development that moves the existing lots of nine lots up to 26 lots. Four out of seven council members say the development will not impact the river, but members of the Alouette River Management Society believe otherwise. We just don't want to see it. We're not against development here with the Alouette River Management Society, but we are definitely for responsible development, and this is not a responsible development. The society, which works hard to restore and manage this habitat, hopes to raise $60,000 to fight the city of Maple Ridge in court, saying the development will hurt wild salmon by restricting flows and adding polluting runoff and silt to the water. Then there's the hatchery upstream. This river is extremely important to the Alco fish hatchery because we raise millions of fry every year and those fry are also uh, put into other systems and creeks in the lower mainland. It's happening at a time when salmon are struggling like never before. This year we, Department of Fisheries and Oceans, predicted 7 million sockeye to come home to the Fraser watershed. And to date, only 500,000 have showed up. Final approval is required by Fisheries and Oceans Canada before the city can have its fourth and final reading. You know, if we're continually eroding away uh, the habitat in which salmon need to survive and spawn and, and produce, we're not going to have salmon anytime soon. Linda Aylesworth, Global News.
A bold new twist on a Canadian classic or a ghastly gastronomic abomination? You make the call right after the forecast. Uh. All right, let's check it with Christy right now. A record-setting or very close to record-setting dry spell we're in right now, Christy. Yes, no, we, we set a record today officially at 13 days of dry weather. Just a stunning shot, though, from How Sound. First, thanks to Rob for sharing that with us. So, yes, record-breaking dry spell. Uh, as of uh, today at YVR, we had 13 days of no rain. The old record was set back in 1956 at 12 days. So an incredible stretch of weather, especially considering there is a song named November Rain for a reason. Now, we've got uh, warnings across the north. Freezing rain warning has ended, thankfully, but we have a rainfall warning for areas near Stewart and a winter storm watch. So here's what you need to know. First starters, these are the areas we're concerned about. Highway 97, Pine Pass, Williston and the BC Peace River area. There's going to be two waves. The first wave will be tonight. Snow and a risk of freezing rain for all areas. Now, Williston will likely see a transition to rain tomorrow, but the second wave will hit the other two areas as heavy snow tomorrow through Saturday, likely later in the day tomorrow but through Saturday morning. This is the first wave this evening with a mixed precipitation, rain, freezing rain, and snowfall. But then as we head towards tomorrow evening, you can see this massive swath of snowfall, and that's that heavy snow. So reduce visibility in those areas, especially, as I mentioned, Pine Pass. And you'll note across the south coast, yes, our dry weather will come to an end. Tomorrow will be mostly dry. It's going to be tomorrow evening that we'll see that. Here's your forecast for tomorrow. So rain for western sections, snowfall fall for inland regions, a mixed bag expected overnight. Across the south, mainly cloudy, but also mainly dry. We've been pretty lucky across the south, but the changes on the way for these areas later in the day across the north and then towards the evening hours for our region in Metro Vancouver. And so far, we have a chance of rain Saturday morning, but most of the weekend looks dry, but now we have a chance of rain in the forecast for Remembrance Day Monday. A lot of uncertainty with the weekend forecast, so keep tuning back in. I really urge you. It hasn't been a great forecast. Another Nice shot from Maple Ridge, thanks to Jillian, showing the probably the last of the beautiful colors that we'll see over the next little while. They're coming down quick, aren't they? Yeah. Okay, thanks very much, Christy. Well, it is the quintessential Canadian snack, and a lot of people will tell you, do not mess with poutine. But a Toronto restaurant is boldly ignoring that with a new dish that sparked a nationwide debate. It starts normally enough, of course, with French fries, but then multicolored cheese curds and even multicolored gravy are piled on top. The end result is what they're calling unicorn poutine. After it was posted on the official Government of Canada Twitter account, the debate was on. Some calling it a happy new variation on the theme, others going so far as to call it treason. It's definitely a punishable offense, in my opinion, but... No, I agree. You're not watching for my opinion. <laughs> Squire, how are you? What do you think? Of it's made with kryptonite. I cannot mm. eat it. Yeah, oh, that's right. Yeah. Potatoes, potatoes and me do not get along. So I've never had poutine. I've never had French fries. Oh, I think I eat potato out. chips once in grade mm. seven and assume the fetal position for about a week. Oh, no. It happens. All right. Well, now you, you, you we, can uh, help us have our fill-in sports. Here? It's pretty yeah, close, isn't it? I, was I don't know if that. I should apologize to you or vice versa. Uh, Blackhawks. In Chicago tonight. Yes, the Windy City, the second city, the city of the big shoulders. If I run out of all the euphemisms, all the nicknames. <laughs> Those are the big ones. Okay. Uh, after that slapstick ending. City by the lake. Eh, you can go with that. <laughs> Remember the old Cleveland Stadium? Mistake by the lake. That's I like right. that one. The mistake <laughs> on the lake, actually. Okay. 
After that slapstick ending with the uh, game against St. Louis the other night, the Canucks are hoping for less laughs at their expense in Chicago this evening. Now, Canucks-Blackhawks, that used to be a big deal. It's not quite the same as it used to be. There are still some holdovers from the rivalry days like Edler, Tanev, Taves, and Kane, to name a few, but Chicago is no longer a contender. They're kind of like the Canucks now. They're trying to go younger and start a new era. Boy, when you look at Quinn Hughes without his helmet, it looks like he's already past his bedtime. But he can play a man's game. There's no doubt about that. Although here, he's not able to stop Alex Dabrinkit from scoring while going to his face, basically. That made it one nothing in the first period for the Blackhawks. Canucks have had good goaltending this year from Markstrom and Demko and also Troy Stetcher, who makes a stop here off David Kampf. This would have been 2 nothing had it not been Stetcher making the save because Markstrom was not in position at that time. Okay, Blackhawks power play. They throw it around. They get a goal. Andrew Shaw. Everybody's watching Patrick Kane. He mesmerizes him, starts to play. It's two zip. Early in the second period, the Canucks are now on the power play. And this one actually goes in off the skate of JT Miller. Just go to the right spot. Well, not the skate, just the body, I guess. Glove, but it wasn't directed in. Nice pass across by Pedersen. 2-1 now in the second for Chicago. All right, Barry Trotz and the Islanders have won 10 in a row. Taking on the Penguins. Casey Sezikis, which goes nice with Peter Brett. Sezikis. Scores to make it one nothing. That was 19 seconds into the game. Then in the second period, shorthanded the Islanders are, and Cal Clutterbuck will make it two nothing. It was actually three nothing in the third period for the Islanders. Could it be 11 in a row? No. The Penguins rally. They make it three one. Now great shot here by Brian Russ. That makes it three two. If Jenny Malkin made it three three, and then in overtime, Rust. Never sleeps. Neil Young reference. Steals the puck and scores. Ten game win streak done. But they get a point, the Islanders do. We don't know who the BC Lions new head coach will be, but we do know that whoever it is will have Coquitlam's Lamar Durant to work with. The Lions signed Durant, a receiver of theirs, to a new two-year contract. He was having his best season ever before getting a foot injury. Had 57 catches, 810 yards. Would have easily gone over 1,000 had he not gotten hurt. By the way, there were a number of people around the CFL who thought that Lions receiver Brian Burnham, despite being on a losing team, should be a finalist for most outstanding player, but he is not. Saskatchewan quarterback Cody Fajardo, with the Lions last season as a backup, is the Western nominee. Hamilton receiver Brandon Banks is the Eastern nominee. There is no BC Lion finalist for any award this year, and that's not a surprise, of course. When it comes to running backs in Canadian junior football, it's good to have the first name Andrew. Andrew Harris certainly wowed them when he played at the junior level. And the same thing is happening with Andrew Pockernick, who will lead the Langley Rams into the Canadian Championship not this Saturday, but next Saturday against the powerhouse in Saskatoon. Andrew Pockernick is off to the races once again. Andrew Pockernick wanted his final year of junior football to be a memorable one. Safe to say he will never forget his 2019 season with the Langley Rams, where he set six league offensive records, including most touchdowns in a season with 27, shattering the old mark of 24 set by current CFL star Andrew Harris. I think he overshot my vision a little bit. <laughs> yeah, You know, uh, I expected him to be the best running back in the league. 
I expected him to get over a thousand yards, um, but there's no way I would have thought he was going to score 27 touchdowns. I don't think anybody was going to see that. But um, as far as being a leader and, and being the best running back, absolutely, that was my vision. Pockernick just joined the Rams this year after playing the two previous seasons in Kamloops. He grew up playing football in Saskatoon, where most young players dream of joining the dominant team in Canadian junior football, the Saskatoon Hilltops, but not Pockernick. I remember growing up and like Hilltops would come to my high school elementary and yeah, every kid wanted to play for him. But for me, I don't know, I guess I was a bit of an odd kid. I always had a chip on my shoulder, so right away out of high school, in my mindset, I wanted to go venture out other opportunities, and I did just that. Pockernick actually redshirted at Carleton University in Ottawa for a year. It wasn't a good fit, so he made his way to BC, where he's blossomed into a dominant junior player. That could open doors for a CFL free agent tryout or a key role at a Canadian university. But first on his mind, beat his hometown team for the National Junior Championship. Words can't even describe. Like, that's been a goal of mine for a while, always to go against my hometown, I guess, and just prove to myself and prove to everyone else that I could do it, and this team is more than capable of doing it as well. I don't know who did that last block, but that was a hell of a block. <laughs> Great run. Yeah. Great cutback block, yeah. too, as well. You picked it up as well. Funny to Canada, Duchess Megan prepares for her first Remembrance Day in England. Plus, we visit the New York set of the Tamron Hall Show. That's coming up at 7 right after the news. Hour. But for now, it's back to you, Chris. All right. Thanks very much, Cheryl. So Halloween night is supposed to be scary, but a poor Coquitlam woman's experience takes it to a whole new level. The Halloween party she attended could have been her last, if not for the quick action of the restaurant owner. Jordan Armstrong has their reunion today and the reason that other restaurant customers thought it was all an act. I'm just so thrilled to be able to be here to thank him. Joanne Lomas hasn't seen the owner of Vancouver's Water Street Cafe since Halloween night the night she almost died. I apparently was turning blue and purple. Lomas was attending a murder mystery themed party at the restaurant. So when she began to choke and eventually blacked out, other diners thought it was all part of the act. Her friend tried the Heimlich maneuver. Everybody starts taking her pictures and laughing because they think we're part of the, part of the, the program. But with no training, he was getting nowhere. Fortunately, restaurateur Eli Brennan was summoned from downstairs, and he knew exactly what to do. Thank you. That was so nice of you. She had uh, fully passed out. Um, I had to do the Heimlich, and then I had to clear her airways as well and open her mouth and get in there, and it was, uh, it was quite, quite scary. But the night ended well. Lomas had no injuries and, in fact, finished the party. Now, reunited for the first time, the two are urging others to get the training that Brennan knew and that saved Lomas's life. I think that we should just always be ready. Um, and I'm going to have my whole team trained on uh, CPR and, you know, first aid now that I've seen this experience and the difference that it can make. Thank you in the Water Street Cafe. <laughs> thank you. A wonderful evening and there. Thank you. Oh, Our thank you so car. much. You're thank too kind. You. You're too generous. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Now we're going to be friends for life. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Customer for life. And how tough is she that she finished the party? I know. You're turning blue and you finished the party. Squire brings up a good point. If you are ever choking, don't leave the party. Stay a lot of people where do that. people are. I they remember think, oh, well, I'll cough off on I my own. I think so. a friend of mine who was like a, a firefighter said, sometimes you'll see people 
who'll go to the bathroom because they right. don't, oh, I don't want to like bother right. people. I don't want to yeah. be embarrassed by choking. So I go to the bathroom and deal with it myself and there's no one there and yeah. Yeah. you can't deal with it yourself. Stay with people, deal with mm -hmm. the embarrassment. For sure, glad yes. that one uh, worked out and uh, no rain in the immediate forecast. We could set an, extend the record tomorrow? I don't think so. No? I think by the it's evening, before midnight tomorrow, we'll start to see rain. All right. Yeah. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a good night.